RadioInfluence.com. Hey guys, so real quick before you listen to this episode, we wanted to share a disclaimer and let you know that we had some technical difficulties. It's a little scratchy in the beginning, but we didn't want to lose the authenticity of this episode and there was so much powerful content. So if you can just get through that scratchiness, you're going to find some great information um, in this podcast. So hope you guys enjoy. Sorry for the scratchiness. And welcome back to the Live Bold and Boss Up show. Today, we have another very special guest that I'm excited to introduce. Um, Before funding Roombo in 2008, our guest speaker that's here with us today was a partner and vice president of creative services for the Dutcher Group. This is where he was responsible for the development of all of the creative strategies and materials created at the agency and managing the daily operations of the creative department. So in 2005, he actually founded Grupo D, which is the Hispanic marketing division of the Dutcher Group. Uh, His Latin and European heritage really provided him with cultural insight that really contributed to his strategic approach to the multicultural marketing. The success of the Group OD led him to launch Roombo in 2008, which is an independent multicultural firm. He has offices in both Tampa, Florida, and Nashville, Tennessee. Um, He has over 20 years of creative professional uh, experience in general marketing and multicultural marketing. Uh, he's garnered multiple local and national agent advertising awards um, for all of the creative work that he's done. And in 2018, he was recognized with the American Advertising Federation's Silver Medal for Advertising Excellence and Service on behalf of the advertising indus- industry. Uh, I have to also let you know that he av- he attended Pratt. Uh, Institute in New York. And, you know, to tie that all up with a nice pretty bow, he has a diversity and inclusion certificate. He has a diversity and inclusion certificate from Cornell University. This man has also been a U.S. Army veteran who has earned many accolades and has served on many uh, boards. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast, George Zuorko. Welcome. I feel like your background and and your company, Roombo, is just so relevant to, I mean, any day and time, but especially right now, just with everything going on, like companies, they need, they need that. They need someone like you to help them how to brand, how to market. So I really appreciate you being here today. It's my pleasure. This is great. Thank you. So start off sharing with us the weight of advertising culture and brand promises and their meanings for us pre-COVID, because obviously it's changed a lot. Oh, completely. Yeah, pre-COVID. That's great. Yeah, I remember those times. They see so long ago. <laughs> now, pre-COVID, it was, uh, you know, the, the taglines and positioning statements and way, the way brands would position themselves to, to any customer. Uh, it was always with this idea that we were in everything together, that we are there for you we want to serve you better. Uh, we're kind of that that you know that distant friend that you know we're, we're, or a distant family member, and they would always try to just kind of you know snuggle their way into your life with these fancy taglines and these warm 
you know, empathetic commercials that kind of make you feel warm and fuzzy inside, right? And, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden COVID hits, and it's like, where'd you all go? You know, marketing budgets got cut, and, and, and you know, you get that from an operational, you know, we're entrepreneurs, right? And so from an operational perspective, you got to you got to cut costs some place. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I don't think marketing was the right thing to cut, considering that more than ever, I believe that everyone just needs to have some sense of normalcy. Right. And commercials, for some reason, kind of create that. And, and, and the, way, the reason I say that, there was a book written by a gentleman named James Twitchell called Ad Cult. And what Ad Cult talks about is how, how America and our culture is really recognized by the rest of the world for our advertising, for our brands. You know, when you ask someone in another country, how do you, you know, what's your idea? Describe an American to us, you know. I lived in Germany for a long time. They would always say we were like cowboys. And they would reference us to the Marlboro Man, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, people just associate who we are as a country with the brands that we create and, you know, it's, it's just kind of how we're viewed. Meanwhile, every other country and every other culture has, you know, hundreds, thousands of years of, you know, something to hang their hat on. We're a young country. We don't. We have our advertising. We have our marketing. We have our capitalism. We have, Mm -hmm. this is what we're made of. And so when you look at the responsibility that brands have when supporting our advertising or our American culture is that you're the voice. You're the voice that people remember nostalgically like how do you remember the 90s how do you remember the 80s how do you remember the 70s you remember those catchphrases you know you remember those lines that you heard in a commercial as a child growing up right. you remember the jingle you remember the mnemonic you remember those things uh it's it's part of those pleasant memories we have of our childhood and so you're responsible for making us feel better about how everything is going right now mm-hmm. uh, it's your duty yeah do you feel like that your background in Germany and internationally has kind of helped you with the this multicultural marketing here in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think it goes further back than that. Uh, so, I, growing up, I, I grew up in the Bronx. I grew up in a predominantly black Hispanic neighborhood. My mother is Puerto Rican. My father is European. Right. Uh, but I grew up in an environment where you, know, you you identified as either you were black or you were Hispanic. You were, you were you know you were Puerto Rican, Dominican. You fell into some particular group, and that was your group of friends, and that's who you hang out with. That's your clique, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, unfortunately, you know, growing up, not that I denied my father's side of my cultural heritage. I just didn't know it. It wasn't it wasn't presented to me in any real way. You know, my mother. And, you know, that Hispanic, that Puerto Rican culture is how we lived. We ate Puerto Rican food. We listened to Spanish music. Spanish television was on constantly. And so I struggled growing up identifying. You know, I I felt like I didn't look Hispanic enough or I wasn't Hispanic enough or I wasn't anything enough. And uh, I've always had that. That was always top of mind for me. It's like I was, I I think I'm just sensitive to uh, how people want to be identified or how people identify themselves you know what what silo do you fit in mm-hmm. you know and and I was really proud of the silo that I fit in but it was a struggle you know to just kind of like because you know it's it's funny you feel like you're judged you know you're looked at you know, like well your name isn't Spanish and you don't look 
Spanish. Right. But you know, and inside you're like, but I, but I am. I identify there. That's right. that's that's where I am. That's my home. And so when I started my first agency, we had a couple clients. Well, then you know, to step back, yeah, I did. I did go to Europe when I was in the army, and so I was exposed to that culture as well. And, and you know, I was appreciative of everything around me, and I took a deep dive and immersed myself in that culture completely to learn everything I could about Germans and the way Germans lived and how they, what they eat and where they go and what they like and what was a Sunday afternoon like for, for our local German community. Um, so I did get involved t- tremendously there, and thankfully that was due to the, you know, the U.S. Army. Um, but when I, when I got back here and I got into advertising, and we had clients that would come with their campaigns and say, okay... I want to reach our Hispanic audience, or I want to reach a black audience. And they would just simply say, okay, let's just take an image of a black man and just put him on. That's that's the face of our brand. We don't have to change any of the copy. We're just going to do that. And that satisfied. That checked the box, right? Or if we're going to talk to our, our Hispanic, our Latin community, well, let's just translate what we're saying here in English, because that's that's just fine. And then we'll put a picture of you know a Hispanic family. Check that box. None of it was relatable. None of it is relevant. And I, I, you know, you scratch your head. It's like you spend so much money developing your brand, uh, creating your campaigns to target a particular audience that's meaningful to you. But then when you realize that there's an opportunity over here, you do nothing more than change a photo and translate some copy. That doesn't sit well. <laughs> and so we decided to start a multicultural division. Uh, within the agency in order to help guide clients to create more m- the messages to make them more relatable make them more relevant and I really do believe that what we're doing for our community of consumers regardless of what your background is and who you are and where you come from or the color of your skin is we're giving you an opportunity to make a smart consumer decision you didn't have that before you took some translated copy that made no sense that wasn't relatable but now I'm going to give you an opportunity to be smart about making a choice. And I have a belief, and this is maybe just my belief. They always say that Hispanic use, they use particular products and that products become multi-generational. I use this particular brand of toothpaste because my mother did and because my grandmother did. Well, I also believe it's because that particular toothpaste was the only one that devoted the time and energy to communicate to you while the other brands took a back seat. And had they not taken a back seat, you would have had the opportunity to make a choice. I can go with toothpaste A or toothpaste B. That's a smart consumer decision, right? Mm-hmm. That's healthy for our economy. And I think that's the important thing that we do. That's, that's the work that needs to be done. I didn't realize that until <laughs> hearing you talk about it, that um, it is much deeper. That it's, it's more than just you know a message or a photo. It's you know in the actual, like reaching what is the true meaning and how does it reach those people right yeah as you're as you're talking about that i'm thinking of different commercials that i've seen where it might target my demographic but i'm i just it goes you know right by you know right over me or right you know right through me it doesn't have any weight um or meaning or feeling to it because i'm just like well that was a silly commercial mm-hmm. you know, what what was the point of that like it doesn't even reach me mm-hmm. so like I, from from being creative and coming from a creative background you know, as creative director writer art director 
you I watch I view commercials <laughs> with you know with a different eye. I look at mm-hmm. it through a different lens. Mm-hmm. It drives my wife crazy. So I'll just nitpick things <laughs> and I'll see things, analyze so I'll everything. things and I overanalyze things. Um, but you'll see commercials that maybe the intended target was a female audience and you know you just know from the copy it was written by a man. Mm-hmm. You, know, you just tell. It's right. like you just you have no understanding. Now, I, I, I'm not saying that uh, there, there wasn't an effort made or you didn't have research to back what you were writing, but you just can't write to research. You can't write to... It's like, it's like me looking up on Google information about a particular demographic and then writing to, that, to those facts right. without any sense of, you know, no empathy, no, no true connection to the audience. Like, what is... You know, if I'm writing to a female audience, i got to understand the female audience. And sometimes I, I'll take a step back and go, I'm not perfect for this job. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I don't understand that audience enough. You know, to, to even take an educated guess, because that would be wrong. Right. You know, so let's find the team member that can do that. And I just had that discussion today with my production team uh, from the production company that, that I own, Three Chairs Productions. We're, we're about to shoot something for women in business. And, you know, here I am playing director. And I can tell when we're talking to the, the, the people we're going to interview that there's, they're not too comfortable. I mean, they're, they're comfortable but I don't think I'm going to connect with you. Mm-hmm. So let's find the director to come in that's going to make you feel easier, you know, because that's how we're going to get the best sound bite, right? right? Right. Makes total sense. Yeah. So how has the past six months, um, you know, with everything going on in COVID, how has that changed or what have we learned about you know, marketing and how we reach people. Has it changed since pre-COVID, obviously? Uh, I, without a doubt, everything has completely just taken a, a pivot. It's not at all what it was. And, and I don't want to say that, because I hate when people say this is the new normal. No. This, is not, this is not the new there's yeah. normal. There's nothing normal about this. Right. So let's not even, let's not even give it a warm hug yeah. and say it's not normal. <laughs> Um, I think what we've learned is that just during these types of episodes in our history, that we are going to take a step back to truly analyze ourselves. I know I've questioned a lot of my own beliefs, my own ethics, my own thoughts. My you just do just because of everything out there being so polarizing. I mm-hmm. mean, we every you know when we look at what's happening politically, racially economically, clinically, education, and, and with education. Everyone has a stance. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone's taking a side. And what we have to do as, as, as marketers, as advertisers, is look at all that, but really analyze that and be very careful on how we communicate, where we communicate. Um, what can we say that doesn't position the brand in a certain way that can cause cancel culture. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, we've seen we've seen it happen this year. And not that cancel culture doesn't exist; it's existed since since the since we since this country was first founded. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you look at just our history, you know, anyone who has a belief or espouses or enables racism, sexism, homophobia, or you know, any, if, if that if that if that comes across, you know, people are going to say, hey. That's not my belief. I don't align with that. And they're going to just decide, 
I'm going to protest and I am not going to purchase your product anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we've seen that recently happen right. this year. And uh, that's where we have to be kind of be really careful on what we're saying and how we're saying it. I'm not saying that we have to, like, we, 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 not at all should we get quiet. Right. That's not what we're supposed to do. What we're supposed to do is just take a moment to realize that people are consuming media differently nowadays. People are sensitive to certain issues. And then what can you do as a brand to uh, better position your brand, align better with your audience, and be, in, be, be able to empower the consumers that you've relied on for all these years? Yeah, it sounds like your job just got a lot harder. I think it with I, this shift. I feel it did. Yeah. I, I feel it did get hard. It was hard it was harder before because it's it's always been hard to convince a brand that you need to allocate a certain amount of your media budget or your marketing budget to these variety of audiences. That that's always been a struggle to convince to do. And I we always say that <laughs> I think the we, we started a multicultural agency and it's not the easiest thing to sell. It's not top of mind for people. People don't go, oh, I think I need to talk to the Hispanic market, so let's go ahead and do it. No, we, we, we got to kind of wrap that into the original marketing strategy, and that, that needs to be part of a bigger conversation. Mm-hmm. And so that was difficult then, and now when COVID hit, and all of a sudden you start to witness what's happening with, with, an, you know, with a kind of like a, an ounce of an I told you so. Right. <laughs> you know, this is where, why we needed to kind of not tread lightly, but be respectful, be inclusive, be inviting, be truly who you are. That you, you before COVID, we said this. Mm-hmm. You said all these things about your brand. You took a position. Well, now live up to the promise, right? Right, and mm-hmm. let's let's be responsible to our the community that we serve. Right. Yeah. It, I know. I know. I mentioned this earlier, but um, it's just funny to see all over social media or talk to different people about some of the commercials that you see or that you've seen pre-COVID where they were like, uh, maybe right when COVID started, hey, we're here for you. And everyone's like, well, where were you for me, you know, before this happened when, you know, um, uh, my bags were like one pound over or whatever yeah. the case is. And it's just really interesting that everybody does talk about it in a, in a completely different way, of course, but they see it, they right. see that going on. And, um, so I think this is extremely relatable and, and important. Completely. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, so what are, what are we doing? What can brands do, I guess, to stay relevant right now? Um, right, live live up to what you said pre pre this shift or this. What did you say? This episode, I liked that episode, a lot. This yeah. episode that we're having. Um, how how can they stay relevant? What can they do? Because this, you know, this seems like an almost impossible task to do. How what what kind of advice can you give? Well, I think there's for for us there's three basic steps to to messaging, and when when we create any type of content there's three things that we take into consideration. Is our content relatable? Is it stimulating? And is it timely? So by relatable, is the content we're creating going to be um, accepted by our audience in a way that's relevant to them and their mindset, right? Or are we just pounding messages out there that really carry no weight? 
Um, and you see that a lot. You, you just see useless messages out there that really don't have any true meaning and are, you just can't connect with. Like you said earlier, that you've seen commercials that just kind of go through you. Mm-hmm. We don't want our messages to go through you. They have to connect with you. Mm-hmm. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to build brand ambassadors. Right? We want you to be a return, right. a return customer. We want you to buy product and then be happy with that experience and talk about it with your friends. And so our messages have to be relatable. They have to be stimulating. I think more than ever, what we want to do is stimulate dialogue. You know, I, I see this in social media posts where somebody will just put a post and it's, uh, it's like almost like they just, they just took someone else's post and shared it. But they didn't tell me why I needed to look at that post to begin with. You shared it, so why did you share it? What did it mean to you? And so why should it be important to me? And then how can we talk about that? Because if I'm looking at that post, I know you would like me to make a comment. And you would like other people to make a comment. So that's, that's dialogue. That's conversation. So your message needs to be stimulating enough that creates conversation. So on that note, though, let me interject because I've been working through, I think, this issue. And, and I feel like we've talked about this on, on a recent episode. But I think some people are also afraid to speak up or to start the dialogue, too. Um, so they might want to share something, but they don't know exactly what wording to use, right? Because they can be offensive or rub someone the wrong way right now with this episode going on. I love that word, by the way. That's awesome. I'm going to use that. Um, so I know I'm working on that, too, is how do you share your beliefs or start a dialogue um, you know, be but be relatable and and you know stimulate that like just healthy conversation. Yeah, that's, that's the third point about timely. Um, that so many times that when we, as a multicultural agency, when when everything started to just go down a particular path, you know, so started with COVID and then and then it totally went into the social issues that we have. You know, in our in the United States, the systematic racism and, and so forth, and and then and then now we're it's a political year, so everyone is polarized. You're you're picking sides, you're choosing sides. It's it's a matter of just taking that moment to go. You know what? I'm not going to respond to this post, or I'm not going to share this until I have something that I can speak to intelligently. It's just it's a, it's just because it, there's no reason to have a knee jerk reaction with social media. There's no reason for me to right away go. Here's something I want to share. Let me just put it out there because I need to. Well, who's who's holding the stopwatch on that? I'm really curious what yeah. makes you think you need to get that, that out there that fast. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, there's there's something about being current and relevant. Like, we've seen episodes happen where, you know, uh, I remember a couple years ago where a major blackout happened at a stadium during a game. Wow. And a brand posted something on Instagram and they just played off of the blackout. Well, they were they were reacting instantly. They were being very creative. They were staying relevant. Uh, it, it was almost news in itself. Right. There's room for that. Um, but when we're talking about something that's impacting our country to the degree that it has has to this point, right? Then I think you have to take if you're going to share something that's relatable to any of that, or or is along the lines of anything that's happening in this country. You just need to take a, a moment. Yeah. <laughs> you need to take a moment just to think it through. And I, I, I struggle with this too. Like all of a sudden, I see something. I go, I'm going to share it. 
and say, wait a minute, you know, what, what kind of dialogue am I going to stir up here? What are people going to say? What kind of reaction am I going to get? Mm-hmm. And then when I get the reaction, how am I going to defend it if I wasn't ready to defend it? Right. Right. And so uh, I, I've posted things that, um, that have nothing to do with my, with my company or my agency, it's just how I feel about a particular situation. But I'll sit there and I'll rewrite that post 30, 40, 50 times. And until I'm really ready, and I maybe even take the time to read it to someone else to go, this is, this is, this is something I need to say. Mm-hmm. If you need to say it, well, then treat it with the respect that it deserves. Right. And then put it out when you're ready. Create the dialogue. Create the conversation. Then that conversation's healthy. Right. Right. Because, right. I mean, sorry, I'm, I'm like interjecting, but because words are powerful, Absolutely. right? You have to be careful like the the words that you choose to describe certain things and yeah i think that's a really great point it's like i'll read threads on facebook and somebody will make a comment and it's well that's i think that's well thought out but then all of a sudden someone has a response mm-hmm. and then their response to that it, it just gets toxic right it's it's not healthy at all mm-hmm. and then you get this back and forth ping pong effect <laughs> right and sometimes it's, it's ridiculous. just more fun to read through the comments because <laughs> they're like, you know, all over the place with sure. what people say and how they react. Um, but it goes to what we literally just put out um, the emotional intelligence episode where it ties into that. You have to think and really, you know, make sure you're responding, you know, with that, you know, high EQ piece mm-hmm. in mind. Yeah. You know, and you know social how it works. As soon as you respond to something, it moves to the top of your thread. Mm-hmm. So what's the sense of urgency, right? You're gonna, that conversation is going to circle back for everyone who was tied to that conversation. Whoever liked it, whoever linked to it, whoever shared it, they're going to see that. Just take a moment, right? Yeah. I actually, um, the term cancel culture, I wasn't familiar with until like recently because I just didn't know it was like a thing. I knew it existed. I just didn't know it had like a term to it. And yesterday I was watching a video on Instagram and it was this guy who was going around the grocery store and picking out. Did you see it? Yeah. So funny. Tell us what it was. I don't think I saw it. Every single product. I mean, there's, you you could say it about any product. He would pick up like, um, like a cleaning, um, box or whatever like of gloves and it's like woman's hands and he's like oh this is a woman's hands why she got to be cleaning canceled (laughs) and then it was like a box with someone walking a dog oh well that's animal cruelty canceled and he like would went that like down the row with like 50 different things and canceled 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 completely yeah i did see that i thought that was absolutely hilarious it was funny and some of the brands that he picked up actually are going through some oh i'm sure right now they're they're looking at either renaming rebranding it's happening in the NFL. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's happening across the board where brands are taking a moment to go, hmm, maybe this wasn't the appropriate thing to do or this isn't the appropriate face to use. Or, right. And I get that. You know, um, I think there there can be, to his point, there's a, there's a, a level of sensitivity that we need to take into consideration. Right. Um, and a lot of people are saying that some of the brands that, you know, people decided to not use or buy anymore, it's like, well, they're giving their opinion, saying, well, what's wrong with that? You know, everyone's entitled to free speech. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. Right. I completely, I completely agree with that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the same right applies to those that decide that they would rather protest and not use that product or service anymore. Right. right. 
eventually everything is going to look the same if you, you know, cancel everything and you have to follow this certain thing not to offend anyone. That's a good point, right? And you want everything to look the same. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. So with diversity and inclusion, is top of mind for organizations of all sizes the same or is it different for certain like environments or size companies as opposed to others? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Great question. Yeah, diversity and inclusion is becoming such a hot topic for so many businesses, so many companies. I had a conversation yesterday um, regarding that where we're, we're going to come in and, and help one of our clients uh, with some sort of diversity and inclusion program. Um, I think for years it's been you know, easy for companies to say, well, we can answer the diversity question. We can check off the diversity box. You know, we, we hired black employees, or I promoted you know, a black individual to, you know, to, to a management position. Done, check that box off. You know, we've done the same thing for the Latin community, check that box off. We've done that for women, people with disabilities, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we have, and I hate this word, but we have our, our token person right and then they just move on but you know these the people that work for these companies they don't feel valued they don't feel appreciated there's no opportunity there's no upward mobility Uh, their voices aren't heard their opinions are overlooked Um, they are over they're passed over for promotion even though they completely qualify for a position just because of their skin color or their gender or their disability and where I think companies can improve is when it, in regards to inclusion, right? Equity, mm-hmm. justice. You know the things. You know we we stop at DNI, but we we leave off so much more mm-hmm. that we can do to make our environment healthy mm-hmm. for everyone. And why wouldn't you? Um, you just, when you look at the demographic of the United States and the population that it is, you know how can you say that? We can only advance a select few. And how can you do that almost unconsciously? You know, it's, it's unconscious bias. It's like you don't, you can't see what's really happening here and the damage you're doing to your company or your brand. Mm-hmm. It's detrimental for years to come. It is. And so mm-hmm. with inclusion, it's, you know, how do I take my team of these people with diverse backgrounds and make them feel that their opinion matters, that we're going to... Uh, enact a program or create something within the co- corporation or a better way to serve our customers based on that opinion. We're, we're going to value what you had to bring, that idea you brought to the table. That carries weight. It carries value. You know, and then, you know, with equity, how do we how do we help you feel that you have room to advance and move forward? And then how do you, how do you want to make that feel that there's some, some level of justice behind it? There's just so many things that I think companies are overlooking that, um, oddly enough, and it's sad that it took this, 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 this episode that we're <laughs> having for people to go, wait a minute, for them to even look at themselves and go, you know what? I have been undervalued. I don't feel appreciated. You know, it's more than just a job. You know, maybe at one time it was, but wait a minute, it was just a job because I wasn't given a chance to, to move up. And this is really more about my career. Mm-hmm. 
You know, there's well, just so many things that we need to consider. It's it's also a like a disservice to the company, right? When the company doesn't value those individuals' thoughts and what they contribute, they're only hurting themselves too. Because um, just the the, the the diverse thought can't get that out of my mouth. The diverse thought in and of itself is valuable to a company to grow, right, and to better themselves. Um, you're not going to want just one stream of thought, the same thought constantly. You need all those other tastes and ideas and values to come in and to um, to rise up and to you know just kind of keep increasing your value and and to you know give better right to the community and and it's just a win win all around. I I really think. Yeah, I, you know when, when you look at it from. From that perspective, is how do you retain quality employees? How do you recruit quality employees? You know, how do you get them and their values to align with your values? And those are things that you need to consider moving forward when you look at the employee pool and what that might be, you know, who's representing that employee pool 5, 10, 15 years from now. You know, the, the, the world as we know it, the country as we know it, is not, it's different, and it should be. We're, you know, we're, we, we have a population of people that come from so many different backgrounds and so many different cultures and, and smart, brilliant people, you know, and I want those people to work for my company. So how do I recruit those, those individuals and then how do I make them feel that this is a place where they can feel safe and they can advance, you know? I don't understand how you can have a company and you have a board of directors, but yet you don't have a single woman on that board. How come women only make up a small percentage of CEOs in the company, in the tech industry? Mm-hmm. How does that make sense to anyone? Right. You know, And so what can we do to help companies overcome a lot of those barriers? Or how do we knock down help help individuals knock down those barriers? But it really starts from the top down. It's having that conversation with you know, the CEOs, the board of directors, the, the founders, and, and helping them recognize, you know, get out of your lane for a second. And how can we help you uh, become a better environment for your employees? How do we help your managers become better managers and better leaders? How can we help them identify some of the things that are happening that you don't see in your ivory tower when you're sitting up there in your office? You don't know what's happening on the ground. And I'm sure... To some degree, you probably wouldn't even allow it. And so what can we do to put a system in place, a process in place to eliminate that and then create that strong environment for everyone? Mm-hmm. Um, how are you budgeting differently? Yeah, that's budgeting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, became a, that was like top of the list of questions at the beginning of the year when, uh, when COVID started to, to put us all on lockdown. And um, a lot of our clients started changing how they were spending the money. They just didn't know. You know, it was the fear of the unknown where they were like, well, we know the economy is going to go south. And so if the economy is going to tank a little bit, sales are going to tank. If all this is going to start to take a little bit of a dip, what can we, you know, where do we need to hold back on? What do we need to put in reserves? You know, but then we answer that, then we, we, we come up to that marketing question. It's like, when this is all over, you know, you want to make sure that you're still relevant. And to some degree, I'm not going to say that advertising and marketing was the answer, but when when you go completely quiet, 
people forget you. You don't exist anymore. They don't talk about you. Mm -hmm. And uh, you may have had somewhat of an established brand, but once you went silent, people moved on because there was somebody else there to take your place because they wanted to stay top of mind. And so what we started telling our clients was, all right, well, let's, let's, re, let's revisit the budget you had for this year, and we, we're going to need to make some changes. We're going to need to cut some things because uh, if we spend money the way we thought we were going to spend when we got into 2020, we weren't going to see an ROI for any of that. And one thing we do, and there's a lot of agencies that do this, is, that, is you have to advise your clients and there has to be an ounce of, of ethics in how you give that, that advice to help the client succeed. It can't just be, I want you to continue to spend this money because it's better for my bottom line. Right. Yeah, it's better for my bottom line. Everything was better for their bottom line too, but we all had to take a hit. And so what can, advice can we give our clients to, to shift how they spend their money, where they spend their money, what can we cut back, and then what can we revisit next year? When this is all over, we'll look at that. But right now, consumers are not out working. They're not in the stores. They're not in the streets. They're not seeing this media or that media. You know, they're consuming a little differently right now. They're, they're behind their laptops a lot more. They're streaming, you know, on, on connected TVs. So, you know, OTT, over the top, is a great place to be. Let's, let's stream some of your content. And also this, you know, we're looking at new ways to communicate with your consumers that actually are probably a lot more cost effective than they were before. Um, because now we know where your customers are at. And we can really serve messages directly to them. And we can drill down at that, you know, and, and truly identify who that audience really looks like now. Um, because we can do things online and we do things digitally. It's just, it was just a matter of just revisiting what that spend looked like mm-hmm. and being really smart about it. Like public events. Events went away. We had one client, a good percentage of their budget was events and sponsorships. You can't do that anymore. Right. You know, no one's no one's in the stadium. No one's at the arena. Where are they? Well, let's bring the message to them. Let's use the same strategy that we were doing, but we're just shifting where that message is going to be seen. Um, so we, we had to, like, reevaluate budgets, but, you know, we, we would be willing to reduce the budget, but let's not let's not reduce it to zero, because I think that's truly going to be detrimental. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good point about, you know, if, if you go away, everyone's going to forget about you. I feel like that's true for a lot of different um, industries, a lot of different roles, right, in sales, yeah, right? I mean, you just have to stay top of mind. Mm-hmm. So you can't just completely give up on that budget for marketing. No, and, yeah. and the level... You know, you, you have to, from a creative standpoint, you have to shift what creative you're doing and how you're doing it. I think that more than anything, there was a, there was, this was a challenge to the creative community. It's like, what can we do to really, really make this interesting to our audience? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what fun can we have with this that would put a smile on someone's face? You know, and, and we can do that. And so we started just changing how we were developing the creative and thinking through the creative and you know coming up with script ideas and storylines and and ad campaigns that were were uh, relevant to what we're all going through but for a second what we wanted to do was just have you not really think about that and let's let's poke fun at it for just for just a second if that just put a smile on your face 
that, that's fantastic. Right. You know, I saw a, a campaign, I saw an ad for, um, for Starbucks and can I say that? Can I say Starbucks? I'm <laughs> yeah. not paying sure. for this, but <laughs> we'd like you to. <laughs> uh, and, uh, it was, it was, it was a digital ad. It was something that came across my computer and it was, uh, it was the cup. And you know when you give your, your name to the barista and they write your name on the cup? Mm-hmm. Well, the name was written as if, it, if the name was muffled. And so it was, yeah. like, it was like somebody <laughs> was talking through their mask. Right. And so they wrote that exactly as it sounds. And so you saw the cup, you saw the muffled name, <laughs> and then underneath it said that something about them being masked and thank you for wearing a mask. Oh, cute. So it was cute, right? right? It's, <laughs> that is it's, cute. It's relevant to what we're going through. It puts a smile on your face. It helps you forget the fact that we've got to walk around with these masks all day. But, right. hey, right. you know, it helps us get through the episode. Right. Yeah. I love that. That was cute thinking, yeah. So um, we're going to wrap it up, and we have a couple of rapid-fire questions for you. George um, has been nervous about this <laughs> all episode. <laughs> we'll, we'll take it easy on you. We just have a couple. And try to answer in, like, a sentence or two or less. Okay. So, you know, just keep it, just whatever first comes to your mind, okay, you know, you. go Without with it. making it a word. Like, that oh, yeah, that's too difficult. <laughs> so, my first question is, what is your favorite ad or commercial? Can be now or ever. Oh, my gosh. Holy cow, that's a tough one. My favorite ad or commercial. Um, I got to think about that. Can we circle back to that? Yeah, one? yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. One piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Hmm. <laughs> Patience. Patience. Yeah. Be patient. Yeah, just uh, take a moment and just be patient. Don't get caught up on overthinking things. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. That's Patience. a great one. Yeah. And then what is the last gift that you gave someone? Last gift I gave someone uh, was... <laughs> I don't give anybody. <laughs> I like a yeah. uh, no, because I gave something to... Um, wow. Last gift I gave somebody. I was, I was going to say it was one of my boys, but now I can't remember what it was that I gave. <laughs> Let me circle back to that one. Okay. All right. I have a question for you. It's all right. It's all right. Right or wrong? Yeah. So with all of this talk about just getting really creative, right, with marketing and trying to hit a certain demographic, right, you kind of like overanalyze and really kind of target certain things to get, you know, whatever that demographic to buy the product or whatever. Do you ever use that tactic on your kids to kind of influence them? to get you to do what you, you think they need to do? I think so. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I want to say yes, because it's natural for me to do that. And so I think a lot of what I do in marketing becomes a parenting skill mm-hmm. uh, because I am trying to get them to do a particular thing. And, and, uh, and I know just saying, you know, you need to do this or you're going to lose this, that doesn't always work. And mm-hmm. so you kind of got to get creative, right? And I, I, I think I do that with my kids for sure where I'll, I'll uh, use some sort of tactic to influence them to, <laughs> to, to give me what I want or do what I want them to do. Mm-hmm. And then I think also it bleeds off into them because I see a lot of myself and my boys, yeah. especially the younger one, which is kind of scary mm-hmm. because <laughs> you'll see him take some of the same language and the same mannerism. And it's like, hmm, you look like you're a little sales guy there. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, definitely. 
Are you are you very creative, like naturally? Naturally, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've been as far as I can remember. I still, um, I still dive into art. I still do things with my hands. I uh, I think that's a part of. It. I still sketch like crazy. Oh, okay. Um, I still paint. Was that your first clue that you were really creative? Is you liked to sketch and paint? Yeah, from yeah, like I said, from from as early as I can remember, my mother tells me stories about how we couldn't leave the house unless we had paper and pencils and her pocketbook because as soon as we'd land someplace, I'd I'd, I'd ask for the paper, I asked for the pencil. So I've been doing that. Went to art school, uh, went to art college. Just I've always just been on the creative side and. And I and I, I enjoy that with my kids to a degree because as soon as one of my boys says, you know, especially when we were we had we were all on lockdown and he would have an idea and he came to me and he was like, Dad, I you know I want to he asked me something about knights and kings and I said, Well, what do you want to know? He was like, Well, what do knights wear? And I said, Oh, well, let's make it because we had all this cardboard, right? Oh. I mean, Amazon shipments come, so we had like tons of cardboard. I got really good. And making stuff from cardboard. Wow! Over the past cool. few months, I made him complete armor. I made him, <laughs> I made him a slew of I different things that. out of cardboard. You're like, like, honey, just keep ordering things from Amazon. <laughs> your wife. <laughs> it was great because it was like every time he would ask to do something, I was like, well, let's make it. That's so really cool. Would, like paint and make it and build it and just you know just get creative with it. Are you and left-handed? Right-handed. You're right-handed. Okay. My little one's left-handed. Oh, really? Kind of strange, yeah. The two-year-old's left-handed. Oh, so maybe he'll take after you in your creative aspect. No, left-hand, right-hand. Left-hand, right-hand. left-hand. If you're left-handed, you're normally right-brained and vice versa. And really? I think your right brain is more of the creative side, and your left brain is more of your like logical or sure. you know the fact side. So that's why I asked. I was wondering if you're left-handed. You know, I'm creative. I do enjoy. Like with the aspect of my job, there's a lot of research, there's a lot of reading, there's a lot of writing. There's, I do appreciate that. I like diving into data, analyzing the data, putting the strategy together, pitching the strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something I didn't even really thought I would enjoy until I got further in my career. Right. Um, but I still consider myself more right brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to the other questions, are you um, you ready for? The favorite ad, what's your favorite ad or your favorite commercial? Oh, man. There's just so many uh, to pull from. And I'm trying to remember the ones that... You, I've always leaned more toward commercials that were funny, that mm-hmm. that would make you belly laugh, not just put a smile on your face. Right. You know, the ones that just really make you chuckle. Um, I think probably my favorite one was the Snickers campaign where uh, the gentleman was in the in the end zone and he was supposed to write Chiefs and uh, he finished painting the name of the team in the end zone but he wrote sh- uh, Chefs <laughs> and uh, that's because he was hungry and he could have used a <laughs> Yeah. and the guy comes out and that's then he says one. the guy says good good goody moogly as his response to messing up which was um, I met the writer that wrote that commercial and he says that was from an old episode of Sanford and Son. Oh, really? Where Grady would always say that. And it was just that line. Every time Grady would mess up or be surprised about something, he would say, good, good, goody, moogly. <laughs> and so he added that into the script. And so, I, I, one, I appreciated the script because I thought it was funny. Right. Um, but then getting the backstory to that 
yeah. definitely made it one of my favorites. That's interesting. That's yeah. And then um, the last gift that you gave someone. Oh, my God. Because that's a real tough one. And Amanda's birthday's coming up. So <laughs> there you go. This is good. Good exercise. My, <laughs> yeah, that's going to be the last gift I give someone. Um, I want to say it was one of the boys. I gave them something. I came home with something. I, I just I don't remember. I think you could probably say the building armor thing. I mean, that's pretty cool. That is, that pretty, is pretty cool. cool. That's a gift. But it was, uh, it was something I handed Liam. He's going to remind you if he hears this. Yeah. How old is he? He's five. He might not get through it. No. No. And let me take that back. Then the last gift I gave somebody was my 16-year-old. I gave him a phone case this morning. Oh. Oh, there you go. There you go. That's the last gift I gave somebody. Yeah. I feel like probably every day we we do stuff like that and you just don't think about it as giving a gift. As a gift. Right. Even like time. You can give your time as a gift. You're here with us today. Yeah. That's you know, the gift. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it makes yeah, it makes you think. Because I do remember, I I come home or I tried like, you find like little things that are meaningless. And you know, like you hand it over to the kids, and I think it's the greatest thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like yeah, it's been sitting in my drawer collecting. Things. Right. And I want to give it to you right now. This is so important. <laughs> Aww. I love that. <laughs> well, thank you so much, George, for being here and sharing your insight today. Thank you also to Next Path Career Partners and the Tampa Bay Wave. And until next time, guys, live bold and boss up. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crushell. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.